There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Turf Show Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, alongside my partner, the one, the only, the infamous 3K, Mr. Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing, man? What's up, man? Ah, man, we're so close to potentially four and one, and then the Rams Ramsed it. Ah. I mean, look, I know, I know this is this is year one for you. I would say this: don't get uh, don't get too caught up in it. You've got that. Everybody's got personal lives going along with the Rams' lives, and if you let the Rams' life uh, take over your personal life, if the last ten years is any uh, evidence, that's not a good way to approach things, man. But here, here's what I'd say, Josh: there's a tomorrow, there's a there's a future coming, and at some point we're gonna get this right. The sun will come up tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. There's my show tune for the day because I promise show tunes once more. Um, but I kind of want to get right into it, man. First of all, talk to me about... You remember when I said I felt like Kenny Brick could have a big day? Sure. On the last podcast? How well did that go? I think I think he had a pretty good day, man. I think here, here's what I'd say: the, the main part of his performance was the quantity, and not just the quality. The quality was great, but the fact that Case Keenum kept going back to him and succeeding when everything that we've seen on the tape suggested that the Lions should be bearing down on that connection. The fact that they developed the chemistry uh, means that uh, it shouldn't have been as successful as it was, and the fact that they were able to get as much out of him as they did. Uh, w- was impressive. What's more impressive is that Kenny Britt's making the kind of spectacular play that guys like Kenny Britt don't make. The catch that he made that we posted on the site, you know, where he caught the ball, dropped it, put it between his legs, trapped it, and then caught it again. That's not a Kenny Britt play. That that that's the kind of play that superstars make. And so the fact that he's making that and putting up the stuff he's doing, I I, I don't know how far this can go, but I don't know that we've seen the ceiling yet. Perhaps more importantly, and. I'm only bringing this up because you kind of mentioned that the Rams have had the worst offense in the league and with with reasonable justification. But this is now a decent number of games where the Rams have, uh, you know, they, they, they put up a healthy amount of points on uh, when it comes to their offense. Um, this is actually the, uh, well, it's the second time, but, you know, uh, it, it shows me that they're capable of, well, not, not quite 30 points, but it shows me that this team is capable. They're capable. They have a capable offense when they want to, um, sure. 
Gurley was somewhat effective in this game, but basically used, I think, as a decoy for the passing game. I'm interested to hear you expound upon this this notion. Well, so here's what I'd say is, number one, you have to caution about against, um, you know, extrapolating anything long-term from this offense from this game, only because the Detroit Lions defense in 2016 is one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And so if you're holding this as a paradigm that is going to, you know, recreate itself uh, against other teams, I think that's being unfair uh, and unrealistic. What I'd say is that they were given an opportunity and they took advantage of it, and that's a, that's a sign of a competent offense. Maybe not a great offense, and the Rams don't need to be a great offense. They don't need to be top 16, but they need to be able to support the defense, and, and they, they certainly did that this weekend. Case Keenum was almost flawless uh, in, a, in a literal sense. He, he barely had any incompletions uh, and certainly his day was discolored by the late interception. But outside of that, it was a it was a near perfect performance. Uh, the fact that Todd Gurley didn't get big numbers, I think, yeah, you can you can make the suggestion that he was used as a decoy. But there's only so many times that teams are going to do what Detroit did and allow Case Keenum and Kenny Britt in the passing offense to have such an easy opportunity to use Gurley as a decoy before that starts to have the opposite effect and then teams start respecting the pass, and that's when Todd Gurley starts to open up. So I think this was the kind of you know performance that they needed offensively to make defenses start to respect the passing game. Even though it's not a great passing game, there there's a, there's a level – of NFL passing offenses that you have to meet. And the Rams certainly met it this Sunday. So hopefully that uh, that proves to be something that has ramifications moving down the line because we've only got one game before the bye, and we need that passing game to show up. You know, I'm curious. You mentioned that Case Keenum, and, and I think rightfully so, had a near-perfect day. What, what I'm curious about from your perspective is if you think Keenum – his late, I mean, <laughs> the the Giants, or excuse me, the Lions go up by a field goal, the Rams get the ball back, and then the first thing Keenum does is give it right back to the Lions. Um, is that one mistake going to make Rams fans who are already predisposed to the idea of Goff stepping in and taking his job. Is this just more fuel for the fire for them? And if so, how much water does it hold? Sure. Well, I'd say this. I think anybody that's looking for Jared Goff to come in and save this team, is, and that's not unfair, is looking for something to get out of a losing funk. This is a Rams franchise that hasn't had a winning record in more than a decade. And, you know, that, that's not tied to any one factor. It's not tied to the quarterback. It's not tied to the coach. It's not tied to the owner. It's not tied to the running back. It's not tied to anything. It's tied to all of it. And, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for reasons to move on from Case Keenum, there's been plenty of them. And they, ha they haven't materialized. He's still the starting quarterback. Uh, you know, what I'd say is, it, it, does that late interception add more fuel to the fire? Sure. But that fire is not burning hot enough right now to put Jared Goff in. I think the biggest question is, how how wh what is the threshold, right? What is the threshold for starting Jared Goff? I don't, I don't know what the threshold is for Jeff Fisher. I don't know what it is for Les Snead or Kevin Demoff, the COO, or 
you know, obviously Stan Kroenke, the owner. I, I have no idea what the – and I don't think we as fans have any idea what the threshold is uh, for which once it's crossed – Jared Goff becomes the starter. We have no idea at what point he gets the job, not necessarily because he earned it, but because Case Keenum failed. And because we don't know that threshold, uh, you know, we're kind of living, you know, in the moment. <laughs> not not anything similar to other teams like, uh, you know, the Browns who started Cody Kessler, the Cowboys, obviously with an injury, Tony Romo started Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz with Philadelphia, completely different situations. The Rams have a healthy quarterback. Who's not a great quarterback, not required their start go with for uh, Cody Kessler. Sure. No doubt. But that's the Cleveland Browns. And I think the question is if you're comparing the Rams to the Cleveland Browns, that lets you know, how bad of a shape this team is in. I'm not doing that, but I'm saying is if we're comparing the Rams to the Browns, year five for Jeff Fisher, that that's an indication that this team is not set up to succeed for Jared Goff, and it calls into question why you brought him in in the first place. But, you know, I'd say this. Uh, fans are really upset. You know, three and three, year five for Jeff Fisher, tired of going through the year-to-year losing uh, rigmarole and looking for a reason to start bleeding optimism into this franchise, and it keeps getting uh, stopped at the at the leading edge. And, you know, certainly a two-game losing streak isn't going to do anything to uh, stop that, but I don't think Case Keenum on his own is going to do anything to stop that, especially when his best performances are coming in a loss. Yeah, and you mentioned that near perfect performance that Keenum had. Let's, I mean, let's talk about this a little. Twenty-seven of thirty-two for three hundred and twenty-one yards, three picks, and only three picks. One. Hold on, wait, I mean, wait, wait. I mean, start three up, touchdowns, up. three touchdowns, <laughs> not three picks, three touchdowns. Yeah, I was gonna say, if I feel that way, and 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 only one pick. Uh, a very, very, very unfortunate pick to have thrown. Sure. But a, you know, a, he, he was averaging 10 yards a throw. That's a first down every time he threw the ball. Well, and the scary part was that he was 27 of, I mean, like you said, he finished the game 27 of 32. The efficiency was insane. It, it was the kind of thing that we saw, we haven't really seen since Sam Bradford's rookie season in 2010, where dinking and dunking for the most part was working. And when he was working intermediate, he was getting big plays, big plays from Kenny Britt, big plays from Lance Kendricks in limited uh, capacity. But, you know, he had the option to take, uh, you know, shots downfield, and it was it was working, and that's the kind of thing we haven't really seen in in, in large quantities from the Rams offense. So I I don't know. This is we haven't seen anything like this. So I don't I don't know how to, to how to deal with this or how to you know extrapolate any future performances from this because this isn't what we get from the Rams offense. This is a uh, huge aberration, and you know he set the franchise record for consecutive completions. This isn't the kind of thing that you say, okay, we can expect this every week. Uh, I have no idea how uh, the Rams deal with this in the locker room and in the film room and say this is something we can replicate week to week because we know it's not. We know it's not something that's going to come back this week. But how do you deal with an almost, uh, you know, consummate perfect performance like this and then say, here's what we can draw out against a defense that's not as porous as the Detroit Lions? 
Another guy that had an absolutely stellar day was a young man by the name of LaMarcus Joyner. Um, though not listed on the run sheet, let me run these stats for it by you. Ten total tackles, eight solo, uh, zero, uh, zero sacks, and .5 tackles for a loss. Um, for a cornerback or a nickelback, that's pretty damn good. Well, yeah, and so he's uh, somebody who certainly offers a lot in run support and attacks the middle of the field. That's what the defense is designed to do. I think part of the problem is that they got away from that sometimes and allowed uh, Matt Stafford to attack deep. And, you know, much to the chagrin of Rams fans who expressed their disdain with Troy Hill as a fill-in cornerback, he didn't do the best job, and he shouldn't be there in the first place. But as it pertains to LaMarcus Joyner, the Rams are designed to fill everything towards the middle of the field, and that's why LaMarcus Joyner is so important. If you go back to hard knocks, the reason Jeff Fisher was telling him that the slot cornerback isn't you know, a throwaway position on the depth chart is because everything is designed to get to the middle and then allow defenders to attack, and that's what LaMarcus Joyner does well. And uh, he did it well this weekend. I think the bigger problem is... Uh, you know, when you don't have other components working, when you don't have the defensive line working, when you've got a hole among the cornerback depth chart like Troy Hill uh, starting, when you've got linebackers and the linebacker depth chart for the 2016 Rams is not that deep, maybe one deep if you only consider uh, Alec Ogletree a linebacker and not Mark Barron. You know, it, it's tough, and it, you're going to see a lot of box scores like this, I think, maybe from LaMarcus Joyner uh, with uh, – uh, What's the right word? Flawed defensive application. You're right. Where the scheme's working, but the application of it's not working because bend but not break is not supposed to break. And clearly the Rams broke on Sunday. Yeah, that's actually a really fabulous observation because this entire defense is is predicated upon that. And and, and really Detroit managed to get away from this. What I want to talk to you about before we get into sustainability is this is what I want to ask you. Do you feel like the result was fair or do you feel like this was, you know, to borrow a phrase from across the pond, points left on the table? No, I thought it was totally fair. I, I said it going into halftime. This was a game that seemed like a, uh, a methodical matchup between, uh, you know, evenly matched teams. And I thought uh, the second half followed suit, you know, um, the Rams, an imperfect offense following an imperfect defense from the Detroit Lions and kind of the opposite, a talented Lions offense that was following a, a talented Rams defense. And, you know, it was it was up and back. You look at the drive charts. These were not short drives. These were not explosive plays. Special teams didn't play a huge game in terms of returns and stuff. These were teams that uh, took offensive opportunities over and over and over and over again to try to play what should have been a field position game, but the defense just couldn't stop the finishing capability of the offenses. And so, you know, it came down to a late second half game where, uh, you know, it's tied and the Rams weren't able to keep up with the Lions in the end. And it is what it is, but it's not special teams. It's, it's the Rams defense for not keeping up with a capable Detroit Lions offense. And the Rams, the Rams offense giving pretty much the most that you could possibly expect out of them against a suspect Detroit Lions defense. But I, I'd be shocked if that's the side that, that people are looking at as the flawed side and what ultimately lost this game. 
Can we give some props <clears throat> to the offensive line, too? Because sure. Ashawn Robinson and Ezekiel Elliott were pretty much. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott. Bro, you. I, I Josh, mean, I love you. Honest, <laughs> oh, God. You've been watching. You've been watching too many highlights. No, I know what you. I know exactly what yeah, you mean. Ansaw, and, you're, Ansaw and Robinson, man, they got shut down. And, and, so and he, I think that that's impressive because we talked last week about, especially with the Jamon Brown, Cody Wickman thing, and you yeah. even saying it's time to move. Uh, that that Cody Wickman may not is probably not the answer. Uh, well. The Rams did a damn good job of providing some protection there for for their quarterback. What ultimately do you think let them down as far as uh, 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 maybe turning a couple more of those opportunities into points? Sure. I think Clearly the big decision is going to be the call to go for it on fourth and short going into the half. Um, you know, if, if, if Kenny Britt's able to finish that drive and get over the goal line, you don't even need that play call, but th- those are the margins of fishable, right? And I, I said this on Facebook live on Sunday night, the real thin, the, the margins for fishable are, are very, very thin. And so the, the difference between a win where you can excuse the failures and a loss where they get highlighted is, uh, so thin that it's it's sometimes unfair to guys. Um, you know, when you talk about Jamon Brown over Cody Wickman, I thought Brown played fine. I'm going back. I looked through the, about half the tape today. Uh, I thought he had a fine game. You know, the fact that Wickman started over him, I don't. It, it's one of those things that you ask, well, well what happened in the offseason? How did that even come to pass so that week one we were into a job share and then going into week two, Cody Wickman had earned it? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen what uh, – created that decision. Maybe it was something in practice and behind closed doors. Uh, we don't know. Um, but as to how it impacted this game, you know, it certainly wasn't the problem. The, the bigger problem with the big plays was that uh, this was the kind of game that comes down to the last moments that when you've got evenly matched teams and they're going to fight throughout uh, 60 minutes of football, you need whoever is going to come up with the ball late to make the most out of their opportunities. And uh, the Rams didn't. It, 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 you know, it's t- it's tough to really fault anybody because they shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. But when they are and when Case Keenum throws that interception and when the offensive line is uh, not giving a ton of opportunities to Todd Gurley because he's not getting a ton of rushes, that that's one of those things where you look at the game plan and you ask, well, you know, why, why are we straying from it? But you get Case Keenum and Kenny Britt, and, and you saw this, Josh. You, you get career days from them. It's hard to argue that that didn't make sense. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, which I think segues perfectly into our final point about the offense, and that is sustainability. Do you think that this is something that the Rams can continue moving forward? Case Keenum seems to be getting more and more comfortable with the idea of Kenny Britt. Uh, do, Do you think that that relationship could grow to the point where Britt becomes a better receiver and Keenum becomes a better quarterback? No. And grow, okay. no. Because, the, the, well, the Rams aren't going to face the Lions defense every week. And it has nothing to do with Keenum and Britt. They took advantage of the opportunity they had. 
Uh, the Lions had to overcommit on Gurley. This is some we brought on Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit, and he talked about the fact they didn't have a capable run defense, and we kind of alluded to this that they were going to have to overcommit and run defense. So they're not going to get this from the Giants. They're not going to get that from the Panthers. And you know, once you get two games beyond this game, you're going to have a completely different situation going on. So it's not about uh, uh, Keenum and Britt, really. It's about what the defense shows. And the defense uh, this weekend was more concerned with Todd Gurley and the fact they didn't have the resources to deal with it. They had to overcommit, and that gave the Rams the opportunity to really attack him in a way that we haven't seen really ever between Case Keenum and Kinnigrid. Speaking of defenses, uh, not being ready for a guy, almost expl- inexplicably, it felt like the Rams' offense, or Rams' defense, rather, was in no way, shape, or form prepared for what Matthew Stafford was going to do to them. Uh, 23 of 31 for 265 yards. And while you're like, ah, that's not that great, when you add in four touchdowns, it becomes a much different day. Yeah, and the problem is the Rams are supposed to be this bend-but-don't-break defense, right? And and giving them the middle of the field, there was a couple plays with Troy Hill along the sideline and deep that uh, shouldn't have even happened. But, you know, the the Rams' defense is is designed to allow you yards over the middle of the field if you want to take it with, uh, whether it's wide receivers, tight ends, but certainly running backs uh, over the middle. And we saw it with Zach Zenner. You're supposed to to punish them. So that they decide to do this over and over and over, it's a war of attrition where you decide this is too painful and I don't want to do this anymore. That's what the Rams' defense is designed to do. The problem was once they got deep into Rams' territory, that Bemba don't break defense is supposed to lock down and prevent any touchdowns, and they failed at that miserably. And so, you know, on a day when you get career days from Case Keenum and Kenny Britt and, you know, the, the perfection for the special teams continued – this is one of those things that it's hard to abide by because a defense should be in year five should not be allowing this kind of a uh, red zone success that they, we saw on Sunday. There's no way to excuse it. You know, uh, you say special teams is nearly perfect, but you know who else's special teams were nearly damn perfect, uh, actually were perfect, were Detroit's. Uh, Prater sure. was 100%. Uh, not just from field goal, uh, but also from extra points. And then their punter, Martin, actually outkicked Johnny Hecker. Both of them had two punts, uh, but Martin put 10 more yards onto his total and put one inside the 20, whereas Hecker did not. And... While Hecker's long was 54, and surely you think, well, that's that's got to be unbeatable. Nope. <laughs> Martin had a 56-yard punt. Just just a good day for for Detroit on the special teams was it wasn't any. You and I don't think it had anything to do with the team relaxing their efforts of any kind. This was just a really good day for Detroit. The sun has sure. to shine on a dog's ass every once in a while. And not just that, but think think about the degree that we're talking about now with special teams affecting this game, where you're talking about a Pro Bowl punter and Johnny Hecker 
punting at a Pro Bowl level and somebody quote unquote out punting him. This is this is not the problem. That, that was not why the Rams lost the game, right? Is that is that special teams did not uh, perform in a deficient way for the Rams in any way, and, and that's that hasn't been the case all season. I think the bigger problem is that when you're looking at special teams. Yeah, and I'm I'm not blaming you, Josh. I'm just saying that there's uh there's bigger fish to fry, and I think the Rams uh, should be focused on those fish. Obviously, with uh, a neutral site game in London coming up against the New York Giants, and uh, you know, a tough Let's coming out of the Let's talk about some of those fish. Let's talk about a very, very, very big fish in particular. Uh, a, a fish known for making one-handed grabs uh, and just generally destroying teams. What is the Los Angeles Rams secondary going to do to combat that receiving core of the New York Giants along slap. with Eli Manning? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, the the Giants passed for over 400 yards, and a ton of it was yards after catch. If anybody saw the the Giants game uh, against Baltimore, you know Odell Beckham picked up a ton of yards after the catch, especially with the late slant that he took for a touchdown. Uh, you know, they, this is the kind of uh, matchup that the Rams are supposed to be built for if they were going to be successful. Um, I, I think the bigger question is, and I know that we're going to unpack this on the site only because we care this much, but the, the national narrative is going to look at, like you said, the, the Giants offense against the Rams defense is Janoris Jenkins. This, this was the kind of guy that should have been on the Rams defense to shut down Odell Beckham and support the red, support Trumaine Johnson taking over what would have been a deficient offensive component from the Giants. That that's what was supposed to happen. The fact that Rams uh, allowed Janoris Jenkins to go means that now they've had to promote everybody from within. And when you lose somebody like EJ Gaines early in the season, Trumaine Johnson later on, that's what promotes Troy Hill into the starting lineup. Um, it doesn't look great because the Giants have weapons: Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, uh, Victor Cruz, obviously, and everything else they have uh, with Eli Manning back there at the passing game. We'll have to see, man. I, I don't know. It's not something you can feel positive about, but uh, we kind of got a bizarre Rams game this weekend where the offense was playing and defense wasn't showing up. So, you know, may, maybe we get the, the opposite of that and maybe we're able to get the win from something that we didn't get this week. We, it, it, that's part of the problem with Fisher Ball is that it's so inconsistent week to week is that you don't really get a great identity for the team. And, uh, maybe that's what we get a sense of this week. Hopefully that's what we're going to get a sense of this week. Moving more towards the uh, the front half of the defense, <clears throat> and I'm just going to combine points three and four into one lump and talk about them as the front seven, and you can sort of divvy that up how, you, uh, how you'd like. What do we need to see from the front seven in order for the Rams to secure victory from Twickenham? Yeah, it's a front six. It's not even a front seven. The the Rams haven't. They don't run a front seven. They don't have three guys at the linebacker level that they can even really. I'm just so used to install. saying front seven. No, I guess, it, no, yeah, and that, that's the thing is, it's most teams run a front seven, but 
the Rams don't for whatever reason. They've, you know, with Cody Davis coming off the injury report, he's been stuck at the back. And because the Rams don't have any pure linebackers aside from Alec Ogletree and Josh Forrest, who they've been slow to uh, install into the defense, the only real front seven looks you get is when Mark Barron and Josh Forrest are in the game at the same time. And because that's so rare, because Josh Forrest hasn't gotten a lot of time. You're really talking about a nickel defense. A nickel defense and a dime defense is your base, and so um, we'll have to see. This isn't the you know the Giants aren't the kind of attack where you need to go heavy four three, and so maybe that plays into the Rams' strength that you know with Josh Forrest as a kind of a uh, late option guy that you can bring in for about twenty percent of the snaps and uh, provide some depth. That the rest of the time you're going nickel and uh, dime with. Mark Barron and the complement of cornerbacks and safeties that they have on the depth chart, that maybe they don't need to do that. And if that's the case, then uh, maybe this is the week that that proves successful the way it didn't last week. But, you know, I, I'd say this, Josh, it, at some point, teams are going to start running on the Rams and running in a heavy way, especially when, when we get to these playoff pushes and teams are, are, are not interested in wasting time uh, trying to well, let's let's wins. talk about that. They can just grow into that. I, I think it's going to be interesting because the Rams aren't really built to defend that right now. The Giants have a pretty badass running back. Uh, I believe he used to play at Cal. Um, was good then. Is good now, Mister Shane Barine. and he's backed up by Rashad Jennings. Um, you know, Vereen by himself almost averages five yards a carry. He's not really a home home run threat, and he's sort of a uh, a complement to what the Giants do with their passing game because almost inexplicably, the Giants went ahead from went from being an, a rushing attack. To, to to pretty much being an all-out aerial assault. Uh, the leading rusher on the Giants averages about uh, 50 yards a game. Um, as a matter of fact, at this point in the season, their leading rusher has 147 yards. Uh, does this feel like a game where, you know, somebody like a Shane Vereen or a Rashad Jennings could get off the ground? I'm surprised you didn't mention Orleans Darkwa. Um, I, you know, man, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to get away with that name. Well, let's... Uh... Assume that that's your nickname moving forward. Is it Josh Orleans Darkwall Webb? Here's what I'd say, man. Um, you know, this is a strength-on-strength strength matchup, and it's happening overseas. This is, this is not the kind of conventional mid-October game that we get. This is not, uh, you know, divisional rivals at home. This is Rams against Giants in London, and so... Uh, how this is going to play out, I have no idea. We we have no clue because there are so many factors at play that uh, are not conventional. You know, you go back to the th- kind of things that we were saying before the scene, Josh, in terms of the preview at Tertial Times. Um, people weren't really talking about this game as much as we were talking about the previous six because we could understand those games. We can't understand this game, man. I, I have no idea which way this is going to go, and I think that makes it all the more fascinating. 
And it's certainly going to be exciting to see because you and I both know that the Premier League has just grabbed hold here in America. Time stamp. Yeah, What's the time stamp? Time stamp is 45. 45. Yes. 45 so minutes. Good job, Josh. You, 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 look, you, you realize how much the Premier League has grabbed hold here in the United States and the the they're scheduling more and more and more games overseas. Uh, the NFL is now shooting for about two a year. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the fan bases in the UK are growing. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, one of the guys who's a uh, a correspondent. Uh, for my Manchester City podcast, his day job is covering the Patriots from Eng- England. Yeah, he, <laughs> he covers the New England Patriots from Old England. Um, no idea how that works, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, there's a that's there's a real interest there, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out on the field, but. Uh, in particular, what are special teams going to have to do this game? Uh, I mean, they we have talked about them as being perfect, playing perfect, consistently doing the right thing, putting the Rams in the right positions. Um, different stadium, different atmosphere, different weather. Uh, different everything, different jet lag. That kind of makes guys uh, prone to different mistakes. Um, how confident are you that the Giants' special team, uh, or excuse me, the Rams' special team's perfection run will continue against the Giants? Or do you think that maybe this is the week that eh, it slows down but is not maybe is blunted is the better word. This is a lot going on, man. Uh, here's what I say: is that uh, there's an opportunity for the Rams to take advantage of what the Giants are going to bring. Um, special teams, certainly, and the fact that Grazer line's been so great uh, to this point, where he wasn't in 2015, I think that's evident. But you know. It, these kind of games, you could just have the same thing going into Detroit, and uh, the fact the game played out differently. I don't. This is one of those things where this game is so singular. Josh is, you know, we're not going to get a normal game by any stretch of the imagination. You go back to 2012, the last time the Rams played in London, played against the Patriots, it was a blowout, and it was a you know Jeff Fisher coaching a young team. Uh, that he was expected to change over the next couple of years. And now he's coaching in 2016, a young team that he's expected to change over the coming years. Um, I, I, I don't know what kind of a game we're going to get. I, I, have no, I have no idea. Uh, I, I know what kind of a product the NFL is going to sell and, and what kind of a, a show the Rams are going to 
market to uh, to Los Angeles as well as London. But uh, I don't know what we're going to get out of this game, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see how they handle this change because this is one of those things that the NFL is kind of using the Rams as a guinea pig to see how do teams handle this and how do they uh, adjust to the change. I have no answer as to how it's going to go. All right. Now we're going to get into some topics of discussion for the week before we wrap things up here. And and uh, one of the first things I want to talk about is the waste of a perfectly good start. The Rams were at one point three and one, now sitting at three yep. and three, uh, possibly looking down the barrel of three and four. Sure. Uh, They've got perfect special teams, and, and Keenum and Britt are starting to develop a connection. But uh, explain to me the the novice, nouveau uh, Rams supporter. Explain to me what, how big of a deal this is that the Rams botched a 3-1 start in the NFL. Yeah, I don't have that explanation. That I, I, I don't know that there is. An I need that explanation. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know that I'm up to the task. I think the problem is that the, uh, the Rams found a way to get out to three and one, and because they were, they, uh, they had everything in front of them, and, and the fact that they weren't able to take advantage of that. Uh, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any explanation for them. I think the bigger problem, man, is that they weren't three and one in years past. If they had gotten out to that point uh, prior to this, they could have built on that. Because they didn't, uh, this was the first time, and without a rookie franchise quarterback who was sitting on the sidelines, and you know, franchise moves that they had uh, deemed illegitimate with Jared Cook and James Lawrence and Chris Long that they had moved on from. They didn't really have the the components to build on a three and one start that they could have needed in years past, and so there, there's no way for me to justify that, man. That's uh, what's the right way to put that? that? That this is not the year that they needed a three and one start, and so the fact that they got it, they just uh, they weren't built to take advantage of it. How about that? Fair enough, I can accept that, but doesn't it piss you off nonetheless? Oh sure, I thought I thought there was a rejoinder there. It pisses me off that they weren't allowed to, that they weren't able to get that two three years ago when they uh, when they had the complement of personnel to get that. Sure, no doubt. And you know the fact that they were able to get that this year and then turn to Troy Hill and Case Keenum and you know the kind of t- the the level of talent that you don't expect to be able to take advantage of that. Sure. That's frustrating, but um, you know that's that's fishable. This is what you signed up for when you had Jeff Fisher, and the fact that he wasn't pressured to get more in the first two years, and was allowed to get what we've gotten in the last two years without any kind of external pressure as to a job security. Uh, I, I don't think it's on Jeff Fisher. I don't think it's on the results. I don't think it's on the players. I think that's on uh, the culture. And, and so, you know, moving forward, unless that changes. I don't know, Josh. I don't. I, I. I. don't know that the Rams are in position to do anything about that. That's any different than what we've seen in the years past. 
Are you going to be the guy that starts like the Arsenal fans have the hashtag Cronky out? Are you going to be the guy that starts the Cronky out hashtag for the Rams? <laughs> Never. And here's the reason why is that, that that hashtag should have started for Fisher three years ago, two years ago. And I know it has. I've seen it. Um, I'm not the guy to start it. And uh, I, I'm, not try- I'm not trying to convince people of any – uh, one course at tertial times. What I'm trying to explain to them is that this is how stuff works. And whatever we want to do it uh, about it as a Ramley, as a family of Rams fans, uh, there, there are different options. But the, the, the biggest option of keeping Jeff Fisher as the Rams head coach is only going to lead to the same more or less output. And uh, we've seen that through, you know, six weeks of the 2016 season. And I, I just don't know why that would change. Yeah. You know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, well, now what you, happens, what happens when it's five years in a row though? It's five years in a row. I've, I've oh, got nothing five. for you. What, okay. what, what, what shall I say? It likely will be five years in a row. Won't it? Let us pray. Why are we praying for five years in a row if we know that Kroenke is the kind of guy who's going to stick with Fish? Hey, uh, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that, man. I needed that answer, Joe. I needed that answer <laughs> like a fat kid needs cheesecake. All right, man. You had on here roster decisions that you wanted to talk about uh, you didn't expound really upon that, um, but I am going to let you lead the way on this. Bring me to water so that I may drink, good sir. Well, hey, you know, a lot. I saw a lot of Rams fans complaining about Troy Hill this weekend and uh, what that might mean for the cornerback position. We saw uh, plenty of injuries along the defensive line and how that means uh, – uh, what the Rams are going to do, rotating people on the front uh, for the defensive line. Um, we saw Farrah Cooper inactivated despite being a uh, healthy option for week six. The fourth round pick for the draft, obviously, you know, Jared Goff, first round pick. But you're talking about two of the three first uh, uh, picks for the Rams in the, the last draft, the 2016 NFL draft. The only other pick being Tyler Higby who isn't factoring into the passing game whatsoever, uh, all inactive. And so I, I just wonder what kind of a team they're going to field with the inactives. We'll have to see how the injury report moves uh, over the next coming days. But I, I just wonder what kind of a 53-man roster they're going to field going into London with all the injuries that they've had and now having to move across the pond and uh, looking towards uh, – uh, getting people healthy and and trying to get a, a necessary win because if they don't get this win, Josh, things are going to fall apart really quickly. And so personnel may be growing faster than ever as a more important factor in terms of what the Rams are trying to do. Give me a bold prediction on the personnel. A bold prediction. So hey, here's what I'd give as a bold prediction. I'd say, um, you know, Tameric Hemingway is going to be active, and at some point I think they have to – the Rams have to start looking to get something more to the tight end position. It's not anything against Lance Kendricks and Tyler Higby. Everybody was screaming at Tyler Higby to get more to the tight end position, but 
they're not looking to him in the passing game, and I think they they need to start forcing that. They need to start forcing a way to get more room for the wide receivers on the outside, and I don't think that happens without the tight ends. All right, fair enough. Uh, well, before we get out of here, um, let's let's talk about the upcoming schedule. Uh, obviously, the the most important thing for the Rams is the bye after this weekend's game. So, I want to ask you some some critical questions about the bye. What do the Rams need to do? Because around the bye is 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 also approaching that free agency window. Um, what kind of meetings do the Rams need to be holding with whom? And what would you like to see get done? Oh, I, I, I don't know that there's anything that can get done at this point. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> we're halfway through the 2016 season, man, and year five for the same administration. You, look across the NFC West. You got the 49ers dealing with the implosion. The Rams aren't dealing with that, so... Uh, I, I don't know that we're going to get those kind of meetings. I think the bigger meeting is how do they maintain the status quo? And the Rams I, I aren't dealing with an implosion. We just freaking discussed how they started out three and one, and have since gone falling back to three and three. Could be staring down the barrel of four and three. I would say that qualifies as a slight implosion for us for them i don't i don't know that it does and i think that's uh, i think it's a bigger issue is that w- what qualifies as an implosion for the fans doesn't qualify for an implosion for the franchise um okay fair and, uh, hey here's what i'd say that we're we're talking about all the things that went wrong you know after a two game losing streak there's nothing that suggests to me that this isn't going to continue and that the 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 rams are just going to lead into the modus operandi despite the fact that it's not working man it, i it, it's hard because I, I i know people are searching for an answer and to say how do we fix this and how do we right this wrong I don't have an answer, and certainly in the middle of 2016, I don't have one now. The bigger problem is that this is where we're stuck, and that we're looking at Troy Hill and Case Keenum and Brian Quick and Kenny Britt and guys like that to try to dig us out of this. And I, I, I just don't know how we do it uh, with those as the only viable option. Yeah, you know, if I were to tell you in 2016 that the Rams roster was going to consist of Case Keenum and all the guys you just mentioned – like, what would your general reaction have been? You'd have been like, uh, 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 who for most of those guys? Uh, you look around the league, the Rams don't have a whole heck of, heck of a lot of star power. Um, they've got some name value, I would, I would argue. Guys like Todd Gurley, uh, guys like Jared Goff. Uh, but the only real true bona fide stars that they have on this team actually really the only true bona fide star that they have on this team is Aaron Donald I would say Trumaine Johnson is on the cusp um, but I think Aaron Donald is, is, is the only true bona fide star that they have on this team oh Johnny Hecker too. yeah I think I don't think it's unfair I think the problem is you know when you when you don't have a single offensive star after five years, and you've had the RG three trade, which gave them the complement of a ton of picks to be able to build up this offense. There's 
there's no way to justify that, and there's no way to move forward when when you don't have a superstar that you can lean on. Uh, the, the, that's just no way to build a team, and there's no way to build the base. And that, Josh, that's a bigger part, and I think this is where you can wrap up this podcast. Is that uh, you know for Los Angeles Rams fans, and I stress those first two words, Los Angeles. Um, this is a market that's dying to buy into NFL football. And the product that they got is the Rams, and it's just not a viable product, not only in year one, but it's hard to, it's hard to envisage how they sell this in year two or three. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And especially here in Los Angeles where things are so spread out amongst the the different fans, the options to choose from, and you know this from having lived lived here, I mean, you could theoretically go catch a Bruins game, a Trojans game, a Clippers game, a Lakers game, a Kings game, an LA Galaxy game, uh, the an LA Kiss game, if you freaking feel like it, uh, the LA Dodgers, uh, the LA Sparks, there are so many different things that you can go spend your money on. You know, I was talking to this about Cam on a podcast, and it used to be back in the day, and Cam was telling me this, man. He's like, you know, growing up, my dad used to be able to take me to NFL games like all the time. It was a father-son experience. It was a bonding experience that we got into. We had our tickets. We were able to go watch these games. And in, in, in a sense... It was almost like that good old American tradition, the father taking his son to the ballpark for baseball games, except, it, you know, football has sort of replaced baseball in that regard. The NFL has now moved from that product to one that, that outprices families and makes it impossible for you to take you, the two kids, and the wife to an NFL game. At the minimum, you're talking somewhere around a grand. Too much. Parking, that's, that's, souvenirs, yeah. food. And that's the ultimate uh, question that's facing the Rams, Josh, is that, um, that they're asking people to, to buy into this team, not just as a football team, but as a product. And so uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I, we, we haven't seen this team as a product yet. We've seen them as a football team. And so we'll have to see uh, moving forward if we get more out of them. The fact that we got that offense this year, this week and uh, uh, nothing else, I, I, I don't know if that changes anything. That's a very fair point. And I think that's a good place to put a pin in this conversation because we're going to be back on Thursday with an, ex- with an exclusive preview of the upcoming Giants game. Uh, Joe, would you mind reaching out to our Giants guy to bring him on? And hopefully we'll have some good old-fashioned banter just like we did with Detroit. Although there will not be a battle for mediocrity between us and the Giants. Um, no, no, no battle for mediocrity. We'll, uh, we'll holler at uh, Big Blue View and see what we can get from those guys. We'll, 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 see, we'll see what rock we can turn over. Um, so for today, uh, that's what we're going to call it. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, 
Uh, at Turf Show Times, you can find me not on Twitter at Fight on Twist. You can find Joe on Twitter at 3K underscore. And if you'd like, you can follow our producer on Twitter at Scotty J Sports. Uh, Do like that. Yeah, definitely like to thank Scott. He does a lot of this work uh, for free to produce these podcasts and to get them up. So shout out to Scott for doing that. And, uh, you know, we will be back, man. We will be back. We'll be talking about the Giants. We will get in your listener questions specifically uh, to talk about the Giants um, and I will not be, make so many mistakes. I had surgery last night. Uh, and for those of you who, if you've never been cut open without uh, anesthesia, let me tell you, it is the worst experience of your life to have a scalpel go into your body. When the, Now I know, I know for a fact. You remember in soccer when they used to take out that spray and like spray it on them? That's what I got last night, and it doesn't do shit. Like, that. if I ever see Magic Spray return to soccer, I'm going to be like, dude, he's faking it. Because that lidocaine crap doesn't work. Ah, that pissed me off so much. Uh, Anyhow, uh, that's a great place to leave it. So please, be sure to get us your questions, your thoughts, anything. Uh, Joe... Any final comments, any shout-outs you want to give to somebody whose article has done especially well this week? No, but shout-out to Brandon Baden, Sean Wilkinson, uh, tight fan for TST, everybody knows No Plan B, and uh, Papa Lurch. Uh, They're moving and dealing with the, and you know this, obviously, Josh, the stresses of uh an a to b move even if while it's in the same market so shout out to the boys on the tertial uh, time staff getting their ish together while we uh, gear up for a pre-buy battle and then obviously settle in after that so i know i, I know there's a lot of people who've been asking what's up with no plan b and what's up with poplars they're coming back uh, it's just gonna take a minute all right So we will be back on Thursday, and until then, stick it right here on Turf Show Times, SB Nation's home, and your home for all things Los Angeles Rams. Thanks for joining. Go Rams. Yeah. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the The Shutdown Shutdown Fullcast. keep telling you we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.